0: Devoting your life and livelihood to making art, that takes guts. It's certainly never provided anyone with a surefire path to financial security. If you add to that the economic hardship that is a reality for many newcomers to Canada, it's a wonder that anyone who's new to this country would pursue
1: art as a career at all. It's scary. It's uncertain. There was definitely pressure.
0: That is 24-year-old Ray Tatad. Ray was born in the Philippines, and he moved to Tisdale, Saskatchewan when he was 16. He bucked convention. Rather than pursuing a degree in accounting or engineering, Ray did something a lot of people would consider a pretty risky venture. He decided to follow his passion, which is drawing. And last year he graduated from the University of Regina with a Bachelor of Fine Arts degree. Ray was right to believe in himself. In 2020, he was chosen as the Saskatchewan winner of a national competition for emerging artists. Ray Tatad's art is jam-packed with religious references and colonial references, imagery that combines both of his identities, Filipino and Canadian.
1: As an immigrant, uh, you're neither really authentically Filipino nor authentically Canadian anymore. You're kind of in between. And I'm trying to focus more on on an individual level to see and feel how I uh, how I consider myself between those two identities.
0: Countless Journeys producer Tina Pittaway will be here with more about Ray Tatad and his art and how he's pushing forward with a career in art despite the challenges of the pandemic. As well, Tina will bring us into the studio of Nova Scotia artist, Leah Evelyn.
2: I was just born to paint. It's like, I don't feel like it's a choice. You know, it's one of those things that you just, I'm so glad that I found it early enough.
0: Leah Evelyn has been a working artist for more than 60 years. She was born in Washington, DC, raised in Baltimore in 1960, Leah was drawn to the call of the the seismic shifts happening in the New York City art scene. After more than two decades there, Leah moved to Nova Scotia in the early 1980s, where her career as both an artist and a teacher took off.
2: I'm not telling a story in any traditional way, it's just there, it exists.
3: Countless
0: journeys. The, the plane began to descend, but we had no idea where we were. We noticed in the distance a terminal building with the Canadian flag. And uh, we had to basically fight for
1: our lives.
3: At that time, it was Portuguese women coming to Canada, like my mother. We were coming here to build a better life, but also to help build Canada.
1: we ici, here, Canada gave us the best. So, Canada le meilleur. Instead of feeling torn between my two realities, I decided
2: to feel happy wherever I am.
1: Slowly but surely, I came to realize that, hey, I can make something out of this
2: here. Everywhere I travel now, there's no place like coming home to Canada.
0: Welcome to Countless Journeys from the Canadian Museum of Immigration at Pier 21. My name is Paolo Pietro Paolo, and I'm joined by producer Tina Pidaway. Hey, Tina. Hi, Paolo. Uh, Tina, I can't wait to dive in and, and hear more about these two artists, Ray Tatad and Leia Evelyn. Uh, beginning with Ray, I've been looking at Ray's work. Gosh, it's just tightly packed with so much <laughs> stuff. People, objects, uh, religious figures and symbols. There's a lot going on.
3: We've got the military. We have the Catholic Church. There are animals. There's cityscapes. I mean, it's as you say, it's completely loaded um, from f- you know from edge to edge, and like it's really reminiscent uh, f- for some people who would be familiar with Kent Monkman's work. It mm-hmm. really calls to mind his art.
0: And I, I can also see a, a definite nod to even the work of Salvador Dali. You know, there's mm-hmm. some there's. Throwing things together that make you think, (laughs) you know, those those surrealist juxtapositions,
3: and a little bit of creepiness in there too.
0: Absolutely, and 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 really interesting to just look at. You just want to gape at it for a while. And and I know we'll hear more from Ray about his influences and some of the big ideas that he's tackling in his fascinating artwork. But I want to start at the beginning uh, of Ray's journey to Canada.
3: Sure. Now, Ray was born and raised in the Philippines. Uh, he comes from the island of Luzon, which is the, the largest island in the Philippines. It's also uh, home to its capital,
1: Manila. It's a typical tropical uh, island, rainforests, rugged terrain, hills. Uh, life was claustrophobic in a way, but it, you came to live with it. Life in the Philippines was hectic. It's very quick paced, very uh, on the go.
3: Ray was raised in the rural outskirts of Batonga City, which he affectionately calls the boondocks. (laughs) Uh, A a very hilly environment with bamboo groves where his family owned a small parcel of land where they raised hogs. Uh, It was a real contrast uh, to the prairies that he would move to when he was 16.
0: That would be quite some contrast. (laughs) I know we'll we'll hear a bit more later on about how the landscape plays into his art. What brought his family to Saskatchewan?
3: Like a lot of Filipino immigrant families here in Canada, Ray's mother arrived first. Uh, Now, that was back in 2013. She was working at an agricultural firm in Quill Lake, Saskatchewan.
1: And after eight months, she was able to legally sponsor the rest of our family to come here. And that's how we came to be here in Saskatchewan.
3: And his ideas around land and the environment and and how he physically experiences the landscape really have a strong presence in his art. So I wanted to hear from Ray about his first impressions of the landscape. Now here he describes what it was like landing in Saskatoon for the first time when he arrived with his dad and his sister back in 2014.
1: And Once I landed in Saskatoon, i noticed how everything is so spaced far apart from each other even the suburbs the fields it was an overwhelming sense of agoraphobia that sets in where it's all empty flat horizon for all for for your eyes to see uh as we went home from saskatoon to tisdale so i remember having my neck crane to the window and um, There was, outside the city, there was nothing much to see. This feeling permeated in my consciousness. And I was like, there's got to be something to see. I want to see anything that the land could offer. So perhaps that feeling um, became imbued with how I approached my art. I, I want there to be a lot of things to see, to take in, to consider, to ponder about. So that's how I combated that feeling by having all those figures in all all my drawings. There are definitely a lot of things to see in his art. I'm
0: just looking at one drawing called Chosen Land. And I mean this is the kind of drawing that you could spend a long time looking at, looking for all the hidden meanings in juxtapositions between, I mean, there's a volcano in the background, there's a silhouetted city, there's a a, a tree with a, a red fabric draped over it. There's a man in a top hat. There's yeah. Is that Pope John Paul II <laughs> listening to s- headphones? I mean, there's a lot the, going on here.
3: Yeah, and, and that was part of his portfolio, actually, of work that he created uh, as part of his studies at the University of Regina, um, and that's where he received his Bachelor of Fine Arts back in 2021. Now, Ray says his art is almost a tonic to that agrophobic reaction he had when he first
1: arrived. In order for me to cope with this moment of like unfamiliarity, I try to fill in every bit of space as much as I can. Uh, I have a tendency to almost overcrowd as much space as I can with all these details. But at the same time, I want to make meaning out of this. I don't want this to be nonsensical to the point where it's it's intimidating to look at. My drawings, they focus on a lot of religious themes that's informed by colonial history. Uh, uh, What I found interesting was that the Philippines, we kind of uh, just embraced everything that has happened in the past 300 years. It's even in the name of the country itself, uh, Philippines. That was in reference to the Spanish emperor at the time, King Philip II. I, I saw that as a way that if how the Philippines just came to accept their identity and have that colonial legacy be a part of their identity, it's not their entire identity, but it sure is a prime aspect into molding that contemporary Filipino identity because. Of course, there were already cultures and peoples long before the Spanish arrived on the, on the countries. I was doing some, some background reading on Ray and his art,
0: and I noticed that he counts the Cree artist Kent Monkman as one of his influences. And y- you really do see that in his work.
3: Very much so. And, you know, I, I should say that Ray really stresses that he's at the beginning of his artistic journey. Uh, he, he says he ha- still has a lot to learn uh, about Canada and the colonial history here, as well as exploring the overlaps between the culture that he came from uh, and the culture that he's contributing to now here in Canada.
1: I am definitely on, uh, on a journey on learning both of the histories and the cultures of the two countries uh, their differences their similarities how they found meaning in their past and what they did out of it to make themselves stand out as uniquely say Filipino or uniquely Canadian but the more that I learn the more convoluted it gets as an immigrant you're neither really authentically Filipino nor authentically Canadian anymore you're kind of in between. I'm trying to focus more on on an individual level to see and feel how I, uh, how I consider myself between those two identities. And to be honest, I feel like uh, I want to focus more on my work going into it on a more individual and personal level. So rather than speaking to a broader culture that I happen to belong to, um, I want to also focus more on the individual self here as an immigrant, and how the feeling of wanting to belong to either of those uh, cultures and identities uh, reflect on myself as an as a person.
0: You know, Tina, it's really interesting listening to that. That's, that's that sort of feeling of belonging to more than one place and grappling with that sense of identity. I can hear that in what Ray is saying there,
3: right? And that, and, and I think that whole idea as well of of wanting to also just explore your art as a as an individual beyond being an immigrant beyond being of a nation or, or like all of it it's quite there's a lot going on
0: so I wonder if that's something that he grapples with too this sort of like pressure to feel that he has to be a Filipino hyphen Canadian artist if you know what I mean did, did Ray always want to be an artist is art something that that was part of his life before he came to Canada
3: yeah, he was actually, he he did a lot of cartooning when he was growing up, um, but it definitely had a different edge to it.
1: Art back home in the Philippines, it, it was much, much more of a hobby and more of a pastime that I didn't give much consideration to, given the, uh, you had to be practical back home with your expectations, with your hopes so prior to making that decision and going full in, in the art program, there was definitely pressure from uh, not just family, but also uh, friends, since most of my friends were also Filipinos. Once I enrolled into post-secondary education, I saw that there there's much more leniency in on all these opportunities. So I had to weigh my considerations Uh, carefully and slowly but surely I came to realize that hey I can make something out of this here
0: Uh, that's that's just great Now, now tell me about the award that that Ray won
3: well, that was something called the BMO First Art Award, uh, which is given to one student artist from each province who are nominated by a, a provincial jury uh, to compete in. And Ray won for Saskatchewan and was scheduled actually to have a gallery show in Toronto along with all of the other winners. But COVID kind of put the kibosh on that, unfortunately.
0: Hmm. I know. I really, I really feel for so many of the students and recent graduates right now who've really felt the impact of the pandemic in that way in so many fields. And especially if you think about the arts. Yeah. Where you need a crowd, right? You
3: do. And and you really need, you know, the uh, access to those kind of beginner level exhibits and even the small galleries that, you know, aren't, you're not going to be making thousands of dollars, but your, your art is going to be in front of people's faces so that they can see it. So it's really tough because You want to be uh, in front of an audience. Uh, It's crucial. Uh, And closing those exhibitions and galleries shows, they, they really have limited public getting a chance to see and support artists like Ray.
0: Especially younger artists, those early exposures—it's it's so important.
3: Yeah, there's no replacing them. Those early years are just—they're pretty crucial. And a lot of people, you know, if if those years are interrupted, sometimes they just get derailed completely. But he's got a great attitude and is continuing to produce art, so he'll be ready when the time comes.
1: The the one thing that I'm most excited is, it's the future. Uh, sure, it's scary, it's uncertain, especially right now, but. That's what makes it exciting for me. Right now, what matters right now for me would be the production because the drawings that I do, they take a while because of how detail-heavy they are in general. Uh, The plan for me is to wait COVID out. I'm just sheltering out the pandemic and wait for it to pan out because a history and world-changing virus is is something that I haven't considered in my plans two years ago. (laughs) So... Right now, I'm just excited to when things finally open back up and make my fortunes on the future sometime soon. That's Ray Tatad, Saskatchewan artist.
0: Um, He's got such a great attitude.
3: Doesn't he? I just, I really loved connecting with him and his positive energy and just, you know, hearing somebody who's kind of on the cusp of just getting it going.
0: Yeah, I just think that Ray is handling it with real grace.
3: He really is. I hope to get to see his artwork someday in person,
0: yeah, me too. That would I'm looking forward to the day,
3: and that actually is a nice way to get into the story of our next featured artist, Leah Evelyn. yeah. Now she's an artist whose work I discovered when I moved to Nova Scotia a few years back. but she's been a working artist for more than sixty years
0: sixty years that's that's amazing. <laughs> i've I've been looking at her work online and and the first thing that strikes you is the color, the rich. Color of her work, but you know, looking at it online doesn't—it's no no match for the real thing. I'm no. sure nothing beats seeing it in person.
3: Absolutely. Now, now she has paintings actually that range from like three inches by four inches, all the way to these multi-panel works that are nine feet high.
0: Ah, oh, wow! I can imagine standing in front of that. Uh, her work is abstract expressionism.
3: It is, and I actually have a bit of a funny story about the first time that I that I met Leia about three or maybe four years ago.
0: Oh, what what happened?
3: Well, she's got this beautiful, light-filled home in a uh, lakefront community called Hoobly, which is right along the south shore of Nova Scotia. And her studio was part of a tour, you know those artist rallies that you have where you get to visit every studio along, you have your map. Oh, yeah. Uh, so my sister and I are fans of her work, and we were coming kind of towards the end of the day it was around five o'clock and we weren't really sure if we would make it to her place uh on time uh before five o'clock hit and you're supposed to be wrapping it up so we pull up to her driveway and out comes Leia onto this balcony and she kind of she yells i don't paint boats
0: <laughs> <laughs> say what <laughs> I don't paint boats?
3: I don't paint boats. So I guess there had been a fellow just prior to our arrival who really liked paintings of boats. And, and while Nova Scotia oh, is, is full of artists who absolutely do create really wonderful paintings of boats, that's not what Leia does.
1: Oh, that's just,
0: that's a hilarious story, <laughs> Tina. I can just imagine how <laughs> flabbergasted you must have been <laughs> by this outburst. But at the same time, now hearing why she said that, well, that's totally relatable. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was a long day, I think. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now, Tina, you, you paid another visit to Leah recently and you've put together a mini documentary on her work. Let's hear that now. Uh, thanks for coming by, Tina. Thanks, Paolo. That's Countless Journeys producer Tina Pittaway. Here is her profile of the Nova Scotia painter, Leah Evelyn.
2: I was just born to paint. It's like, I don't feel like it's a choice. You know, it's one of those things that you just. I'm so glad that I found it early enough, but once I found how much I loved painting, there was no question, ever. I have never questioned it.
3: I visited Leah Evelyn back in December. Now her home, which also houses her studio, looks out onto a lake and it's surrounded by forest. There's a small stream that cuts through the property. The home is modern in its design. It's narrow and tall with big windows. And walking into her home, you're surrounded by white
2: walls and high ceilings. I've got to have white walls. and The whole house now is the same white and I love it. I feel more comfortable. I don't know why. Yeah. It's a, color is very personal. And it's a very important, I think,
3: to how you live. And on the walls are some of her paintings, paintings that she thought she was finished painting Paintings that have actually been inside galleries, but have now returned back here to Hoobley. Now, living with them in this room,
2: she finds herself returning to them, something she's done often throughout her career. I don't know. It tells me. It's like sometimes I'll think it's done, and then um, a week later I'll look at it and I'll say, No, it's not. (laughs) Or even I'll even exhibit it and i will come back for some reason. And I could even show you right now. Um, I even worked on it a little bit last night. I've been reworking it over and over for probably a couple years. I tried uploading or putting images on Instagram and then I'd get people commenting like oh they love it and they love this and about it and then the next day it would be a different painting because that's the way I work I just work it work it and work it work it until I feel like it's done.
3: Now paintings are meant to be seen of course to be experienced rather than described but let me try I'll get a little help from others as well. There's a density, like a a saturation of colour, sometimes dominated by dark colour, sometimes dominated by light. And there's a bit of both in most. Sean Kennedy is a professor of English at St. Mary's University in Halifax, and he wrote of Leah Evelyn's art in an essay, Every Painting Carries a Wound. He describes her painting as controlled explosions of colour and light. He says Leah's paintings matter as much for what they do as what they refuse to do. If these canvases astonish, Kennedy says, it's because they are fearless.
2: I think that oftentimes people, when they see a a painting like this, they call it dark. There's another one downstairs I want to show you for the same reason. But I don't know why people think it's scary. It's like they wouldn't hang it in their house Whereas that's why I did it, so that I could have it in my living room and show people, like, look, it looks good. Of course, everything else in here is white, so of course it looks good. <laughs> so I think things do depend a lot on where you put them.
3: We head downstairs to her studio.
2: I used to, I used to work a lot on paper, because it's less scary. And um, so I would, at one point I put like this frame and then did the, whatever I was doing inside and then I said, when I started working on canvas, I did the same thing, but I put the frame, the wooden frame on okay. and then uh, somebody told me to take the frame off and stop doing that because it would open the painting up and um, she was right, but. It was a very scary thing to do for me when I ended up, when well, the first time I did it on a canvas without without the border, the physical border, I uh, had anxiety attacks at the edges, really.
3: It was a physical manifestation of something. Of like-
2: emotional, yeah, there was some reason I needed to feel protected. the The frame protected me, but You know, it was a wonderful thing to do, to stop doing that.
3: Leah Evelyn was born in 1937 in Washington, D.C., raised in Baltimore. When she was in her late teens, she attended Brown University in Providence, Rhode Island, where she received her undergraduate degree. And that's where she began to paint.
2: Oh, yeah, I was studying literature in my junior year, uh, a fellow student just said, let's go down the basement and paint. And I had been drawing on my own for years and just always loved drawing and never thought about painting as a career. And the experience changed my mind. <laughs> well, it was just a feeling of joy and excitement in just being alive. From Brown, she went on to
3: Yale University, where she studied under Josef Albers, a German born artist best known for his abstract paintings. Elbers is one of only a handful of living artists whose work was honored with a retrospective show at the Metropolitan Museum of Fine Art. You can see his influence in Leia's canvases. Elbers is considered to be one of the most influential teachers of color theory in the 20th century. I went to
2: a good school and had a good education but didn't stay long because New York was being very seductive.
3: New York City was the epicenter of abstract art in 1960. Emerging after the end of the Second World War, abstract expressionism became the most influential art form in the Western world. Jackson Pollock, Willem de Kooning, Louise Bourgeois, Joan Mitchell, all of them living, working, painting in New York. At
2: that time, I mean, I was very aware of people like Helen Frankenthaler, she was having big shows. They had this wonderful show at the Museum of Modern Art. I think it was 1960, I think it was 16 American painters, and they were, you know, all the big names. Klein, Rothko. It was very exciting.
3: Now at this time, late 50s, early 60s, it was pretty much taken for granted that women who went to art school would go on to teach art rather than be artists. Leia and Time would do both.
2: Leia married in the early 60s and had two children. I was profoundly depressed for the first, well, for most of my marriage. Her marriage ended in 1974. Yeah, with two children and three cats and a dog and fish tanks and everything else. But it was definitely easier than being
3: married. Leah remained in New York after her marriage ended, and it was then that she says she began to develop a more professional relationship with her art. In 1983, when she was 48, Leah moved to Nova Scotia to be closer to the religious community that she was a part of at that time, but has since left. And in 1986, she started teaching painting at the Nova Scotia College of Art and Design, where she remained for 20 years. It's throughout these years and into this stage of her career that Leia's art has developed into such a powerful force. Leia says that her art speaks to the inexpressible part of being human. Not being attached to objects, it makes sense out of the unknown, forcing her to be open to what she doesn't know.
2: I'm waiting for canvases to come. I ordered them. that I want to um, start some new work. Sure. So here's the... The bright green, which I never thought I would use again. I did years and years and years ago. It's alive. Yeah,
3: I love the color. Like it's growing.
2: This one, because I ran out of the pigment stick with the actual color I wanted, so I had to mix it right on the canvas. And it came out, I mean, I love that. It's not quite finished, this one. But you can see the change in many colors of green because I was mixing it on the canvas.
3: They're gorgeous, they're gorgeous. I love them.
2: Phil Seacord is the
3: owner of the Seacord Gallery in Halifax, and he, along with his life and business partner, Wendy Seacord, have represented Leah's work for over 30 years. She practiced, she, she worked on it, she, she poured herself into it in, in creating work as she has so consistently for such a long period of time. She has to have, and has developed, this confidence about what it is she's doing. I love my painting, I love what I'm making. So with abstractionists, especially the deeper they go into something that is, that is not grounded in nature are doing something else. It's a, it's a, it's a kind of spiritual journey in a sense of, of, uh, of acknowledging beauty.
2: I'm not telling a story in a tra- any traditional way. It's just there. It exists. At least for me. I mean, I'm not, I mean, you can impose your own story on it if you have to. The ideal viewer will just feel rather than have to think about what's happening. There's another
3: aspect to the life of an artist that isn't much discussed, and that's the livelihood of being an artist. It's a business, and pricing art is a fraught process. Leia's pieces are in galleries here in Canada, as well as the United States, and one thing I didn't really appreciate about the marketplace for artists is that there has to be consistency in pricing. At 85, Leia is keenly attuned to how the pricing of her work can perhaps reflect how she's perceived, how she's valued, and she of course is thinking of her legacy as an artist.
2: It's very difficult pricing. I started out basically trying to get the gallery to price it, so it had to be equal to what something else in their gallery would go for. So it's sort of like a community thing. But because Nova Scotia is... Nova Scotia, I mean, it's a wonderful place to live, but not to sell art. Right. (laughs) Especially not what I'm doing. In the States... If it's not priced higher, they won't even look at it. Right. So I've recently started pricing them higher even here because you have to have them the same everywhere. Late last spring, with Phil and Wendy Secord's blessing, Leia switched
3: to a newly opened gallery on the Halifax waterfront that caters to a different customer and will perhaps attract some of the tourist dollars that go along with that new location. And Leia's prices, they've doubled.
2: And. honestly, it makes me feel really good about what I'm doing. Whether it sells or not doesn't mean as much as feeling good about what I'm doing.
0: That's the Nova Scotia painter, Leah Evelyn. Thanks to Countless Journeys producer, Tina Pitaway, for putting together that profile. If you'd like to hear more stories like this one and help new listeners discover this podcast, Make sure to rate Countless Journeys on your favorite podcast app, or leave us a review. Countless Journeys comes to you from the Canadian Museum of Immigration at Pier 21, located at the Halifax seaport. Thanks for listening. My name is Paolo Pietro Paolo. Bye for now.